0: Good morning, I see some thoughtful person put this up here for me, that was, that was nice. If you missed the community theater this uh, weekend, uh, you have no idea what's going on with that, but we had a good time. <laughs> so you know, as uh, parents, you always uh, hope to be able to pass on uh, good, valuable lessons, important truths for life uh, to your kids, and uh, I I might be somewhat biased, but I I always thought my parents did a great job with that, Uh, and it was always my desire uh, to at least get in the same ballpark as them as far as parenting acumen went. uh, They passed on all kinds of lessons that, you know, to this day influence me and and my thinking, and I'm just going to highlight two of them uh, this morning. Uh, and these obviously are not original with my parents. I suspect most mom and dads down uh, through the ages have have wanted to pass this this information on uh, because it makes such a difference in how we respond to what happens to us in this world and and um, and how we live day by day and, and The first one is the fact that life isn 't fair you know it's it 's probably our Uh, selfishness that we have innate in us that allows kids, uh, even at a very young age, to um, to have this innate sense of fairness. Not that they want to be fair with everybody else, that's not what I'm saying, but that they know immediately when things aren't fair towards them, right? Uh, That's why you'll hear things like, hey, how come he got a bigger piece of cake than me? Or she got to sit in the front seat last time. Or how come they always get to go first? Any parent ever heard anything like that? You know, uh, th- they know what's fair. And-, and there's a part of us as parents, right, that-, that wants to make things as fair as possible for our kids. I mean, I, I get that. I-, I-, I did the same thing. But it's also imperative for us to teach them uh Teach them starting at a very young age. that Life isn't fair. Uh, they ought not grow and grow up thinking that it is, or even that it should be. Right? I mean, if we lived in a perfect world, y- yeah, it would be fair. But we don't. We, we live in a messy world, and, and so life isn't fair. And uh, one of my mom's favorite sayings, because you know us having a brother and a sister, the three of us, there was times when one or the other of us would say something about it not being fair. One of her favorite sayings was, hey, life's not fair, get used to it. That, that uh, it just was kind of the end of the discussion right there. The second uh, lesson that they uh, taught us that they want to pass on is uh, life's tough. Life's tough, so you better know how to handle it. Or, as my mom, again, was wont to say, uh, that's the way it is, suck it up and deal with it. Okay? <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and so, I would like to pass these lessons on to us. So, what does that have to do with the uh, 2 Corinthians that we've been going through? Well, the truth is, Paul has been dealing with some very tough and very unfair things, right? And the church in Corinth has also been going through some tough and, and uh, unfair things. Uh, uh, and Paul has been challenging them, showing them how they need to, to suck it up and deal with it, how they need to respond to it. And he's brought them through a number of very difficult lessons and, um, and uh, challenges. But here at the very end, as we, as we approach the end of the book, he offers them something a little different. What we're going to see today is that he offers three hopes that he has for them, three hopes that he has for their life. And, and, and it's good for us, too, because, yeah, we live in a tough world that's not fair, just like they do. And these hopes, well, they, they are good hopes for us to grasp hold of as well. So grab your Bible, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. This will be our second-to-last message in this book. We'll finish up uh, soon. But uh, today we'll be looking at verses 6 through 10 of chapter 13. And it says this. But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Now we pray to God that you do no wrong. Not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we pray that you be made complete. For this reason, I am writing these things while absent, so that when present, I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. Again, Father God, we're just so thankful to be able to be together this morning. We're just grateful that your presence is here. We ask that your spirit would be free to work in and through each and every heart and mind this morning, that you would keep us free from distraction and instead would focus on your heart, your word, your life for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, in this paragraph, uh, Paul expresses three different hopes for the congregation at Corinth. And we ended last week with Paul's forceful challenge to each and every individual that was there, right? He said, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves or or do you not recognize this about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test. See, there's that real danger uh, back then, just as it is for us today too, that people would become religious without becoming Christian. That people would think that by going to church a certain church, a right church, or trying to be a better person by uh, you know, making some moral and behavioral improvements in their life, or adding certain religious rituals into your life, that that would be good enough. But those things are not the same as having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that key, as we saw last week, is Jesus Christ in you. If you fail that test, if, if Jesus Christ is not really in there, well, then all the religious stuff you do, all the moral improvements you might make in your life, uh, those are all really rather meaningless. So after making sure, after that challenge, making sure that they would honestly see what was in themselves and where they were at, Paul moves on to his first hope that he has for them as a congregation. Look at verse 6. But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Now remember, uh, through this entire book, Paul has had to defend himself against the, uh, certain false accusations that were made by these, these so-called super apostles, right? The false teachers who were leading the Corinthians astray. And these guys, they had made fun of the way that Paul spoke. They, they bashed his character. They impugned his motives. And after the, they did this after Paul had spent nearly two years pouring his heart and his life into the people of that small church plant there in Corinth. And, and the fact that those people were so quick to believe these suggestions and these reports by these these strangers, I mean, that had to... To cut to the quick, that had to hurt Paul very deeply. And so in this letter, more than any other letter in the New Testament, Paul really opens up and he just bears his heart uh, as, he's, as he's answering these accusations. It opens opens uh, his soul before the church. And, and it's his sincere desire that the Corinthian church, this is his hope, that they would see him for who he truly truly is that, that that they would see him as belonging to Jesus Christ as a servant to Jesus who who does love them and wants to minister to them and his hope is that that they would see the real him and know his character based on on all that they had experienced and known of him in the past and and that in all of that then that they would accept him and and their relationship would be able to be restored. It, it was this hope for restoration and, and, and that they would get beyond accusations to what's really there in the heart between each other. And now maybe you're, you're thinking something like, oh, isn't that nice? You know, It's kind of like watching a Hallmark movie where you always know something sweet's going to happen at the end and, and you've got this thing going on there, but but you're wondering, well, what exactly would this have to do with us today? I mean, obviously, we're not in that same situation, so the circumstances are, are somewhat different. But you know, the truth is, I, I think we might fairly often find ourselves in the same kind of occurrence as this. Maybe you have a relationship with another person. And then a third party comes in and makes some disparaging remarks about you. And even though this other person knows you well for some reason, they seem to believe this third party. And now you're hurt. Or let's just remove the third party altogether. Just between you and someone else, there's been a misunderstanding. They misinterpret your motives, they wrongly judge your actions, or they mistake the meaning, the intent of your words. And now there's a barrier between you. There's a, an emotional, relational distance. And the desire of your heart, just like it was for Paul there, is is for reconciliation. Your hope, your deep longing, is that they would actually see the real you, that they would see the genuineness uh, of your heart and, and, and your relationship not only with Christ, but with, with them as well. They would see uh, and, and know that based on your character uh, of their past experience with you, they, they would know what's true, and, and therefore they would not believe these accusations from this you know, third party or or they would give you the benefit of the doubt in, in case of some type of misunderstanding. I mean, isn't that what you would want from someone else towards you? So obviously a challenging question for us this morning is this. Is that what we do for others? I mean, have you ever noticed how Quick we can be to believe the worst in someone else if someone just comes along and expresses something bad I mean this they don't even have to claim to be super apostles right but 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 if they just dish out some dirt on somebody how how quickly we seem to grab hold of it and run with that, and we know we know it shouldn't be that way, especially for us as Christians, because I mean we know how often. Rumors and gossip are wrong. So do we give the benefit of the doubt when we hear something about another fellow believer? Or or when we see an action and we don't necessarily understand why they did this action or what that means, do we assume good motives or do we immediately put bad motives in their heart? You see, we, we need to be people who extend that, that grace of believing the best uh, about someone else rather than the worst, especially towards uh, another Christian, a brother or sister in Christ, when, when their proven character uh, that we have witnessed has shown something different. And, and if we're unsure about what someone else said, what they meant, what they did. Well, before convicting them and sentencing them in the chambers of our heart, shouldn't we reach out and talk to them? Shouldn't we seek the truth? It's that kind of reaction that would make Paul's hope here a reality, right? This, this first hope that they would see his heart and what is real, and that we as fellow Christians would do the same, that we would see the heart of one another. The second hope that he expresses is found in verses 7 through 9. Now we pray to God that you do no wrong, not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you be made complete. His, his hope here is, is for Christian maturity. That's what he was praying for these people. He, all of these things, that, that you would be complete, mature in your Christian faith. Verse 7, he says that he's praying they would do no wrong. Now, don't misunderstand that. That doesn't mean that Paul thought it was possible for them to get to some spot where they would be perfect and never sin again. Uh, we got to remember and put this in the context of the whole thing here. Uh, Paul was, was confronting very specific sins uh, that were causing problems in that church, and the false teachers there had accused Paul of being this weak spiritual leader, but Paul disproved that by confronting very boldly these sins and. And then uh, in in this letter and and calling these people to repentance. And and so his hope here uh, in that they would do no wrong is that they would accept the challenge, that they would repent from these sins so that when he arrived in person, he would not have to um, uh, confront them face to face. So specifically he's, he's talking about that. And then he reinforces in there this idea that, hey, it's not about him. It's not about how I look. I'm not saying this just so I'll look good to others. He doesn't care if he looks approved or unapproved in the eyes of others. He says the good is in them doing what is right from, from you taking hold of this and doing that. And, and that's what he means in verse 8 then when he says we, we can't do anything uh, against the truth but only for the truth. He is working with God, expressing what God desires for each and every one of us. And, and it's always in God's truth that we grow and we learn what is right and, and we have the power to turn from what is wrong, all these things he's asking for here. That's why when Jesus is praying for us shortly before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus prayed for his disciples and for all of those who would believe down through the ages, and he prayed for us. He said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That, that's where we get that. Sanctify, of course, just a big fancy word that refers to, to our Christian growth into maturity. And Jesus knew that the only way that we would mature as believers in this world is through truth, and the only reliable source of truth is God's Word. Now again, we're not in that exact same position that that early Corinthian church is, but obviously the hope is exactly the same for us. It's God's desire that each and every one of us would grow into maturity in His Word. And and to do that, we have to be people of His Word, people of the truth. We, and and by we, I mean every single person that, that is a believer, everybody that names the name of Christ in their life, we need to know God's Word well enough so that we can easily spot error when we see it. For example, I don't know how many of you saw this, earlier this week, there was a news story that came out, Um, I read it on Thursday, Christian, quote, unquote, Christian numerologist named David Mead claimed that the rapture is about to happen on April 23rd. Uh, Some of you are shaking your head, you saw this too. And the news story that I read said this, David Mead, uh, quote, David Mead tells the UK's Daily Express newspaper that on April 23rd, the sun and the moon will be in Virgo, as will Jupiter, which represents the Messiah. According to Mead, the alignment represents the lion of the tribe of Judah, marking the rapture. Speaking to the Express, Mead described it as a Quote, unique once-in-a-century sign exactly as depicted in the 12th chapter of Revelation. This is our time marker, end quote. Okay, so uh, a a once-in-a-century, did did you even think? I mean, it's ridiculous, right? If it's once in a century, it means it's happened like what, at least 19 times since Jesus first went back and stuff. It's like, here's the sign. Oh, nope, just kidding. Not this time. Here's the, you know, anything that is natural and reoccurring, no matter how infrequent, no matter how rare, it's not the sign. This, this, this guy, you know, there's thousands, thousands of faithful preachers out there preaching the truth of the word. How does the news get a hold of nuts like this? That's that's the guys who get on the news, right? This man seems to be studying astrology more than he's studying the Bible, which, you know, might explain why he's goofy in the head. If you know the Bible, you'll know the truth. Such as in speaking about his return, Jesus himself saying, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Or, remember, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he gets the disciples together, and the disciples are all excited because, you know, he's back alive again, uh, out of the grave, conquered death. And they say, hey, is this now the time when you're going to establish your kingdom? And, and Jesus, uh, speaking to them, says, hey, it's not for you to know the times or the epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority. And, and then he went on to explain after that that... that, that We would receive the Holy Spirit and have power to be His witnesses all over the world. So in other words, He was saying, don't worry about when the end happens. God's got that under control. He's got it fixed in His own time. Focus on the job that I left you to do. That's the teaching of the Scripture, right? Right? And Christian maturity, growing in the truth of God's Word, that's what helps protect us uh, against being duped by those who twist and and pervert and and misuse the Bible, even if they're famous false teachers that show up on the news or Christian talk show hosts or, or whatever. So going back to our passage in 2 Corinthians, this particular hope. Paul ended by saying this, For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray, that you may be made complete. Being made complete was a way of describing someone who was fully mature. It was a specific Greek word that was used of something that was put together properly so it all functioned exactly the way it was supposed to function. So is that the word that you would like to describe you being complete, being put together properly, being fully mature? Well, if so, you need to make a commitment to getting into God's Word. And yeah, churches, you know, that's a good start, but you need to eat more than once a week. And so if you haven't already done so, I I would encourage you to get into that that habit of reading a little bit of the Bible Every day. And, and, you, and you don't have to go big. You know, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year. That's this goal that a lot of people have. And, and, you know, unless a big goal like that is what motivates you, and then go for it, right? But for most people, they start off like that, and then they get a little bit behind, and then they get discouraged, and then they quit, and, and it just doesn't work, you know. Instead, start small. Make it a, 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 an easily achievable goal. Read a verse. Every day, or or a couple of verses, maybe a paragraph, a chapter. I'll read. I'll read a whole chapter. Whatever. Make it a, an attainable goal, and, and maybe your excuse for why you haven't ever started this practice, if, if it's time. My my guess is you can you can pull five minutes out somewhere. You can read a verse or two or three in five minutes and, and do that. But a lot of times it's not that it's it's. It's, wow, well, I, I don't understand the Bible, and I'm not sure I get anything out of it. And, and my answer to that is, so? Read it anyways. Okay, that's not really my answer. <laughs> I, could, I could tell a lot of you guys were really shocked there. <laughs> you have to do that? No. Uh, read it because God promises that we have a resource called the Holy Spirit who is going to work in and through us and, and, and bring understanding. Now, that doesn't mean every single time you get to the Bible, you're going to have this, this great big flash of insight that, that says, oh, my life's going to be changed now. Uh, no, just just read it, and, and you can pray. You can pray like King David prayed in Psalm 119, 169, where he says, give me understanding according to your word. That's a good prayer. Every time you, you, you come to the Bible, give me understanding, God, and you'll be amazed at how many times he'll click the light bulb on right when you need it. It might not be right at that moment you're reading a few verses or, or a paragraph, but sometime down the road, boom, that light bulb will go on, and you'll say, "Ah, oh, that's what he was meaning or saying here and there. So get in your Bible and read it. All right, let's, let's move on to the third hope that he expresses Verse 10, for this reason, I am writing these things while absent so that when present, I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. So this is a a simple hope that they would respond positively to Paul's requests. And remember, Paul was writing scripture. Scripture. So the idea was that they would respond obediently, positively to Scripture. It's a very, very pastoral request. You know, it's one thing for a missionary or a pastor or a Bible study leader to present the truth of God's Word. It's quite another for people to respond to it and apply it in their life. You know, over the years, I've had... Multiple people ask me, what's the hardest part about being a pastor? What's the hardest part about being a pastor? And that's actually a difficult question to answer because, you know, there's so many unique situations and circumstances that you can get into. And and beyond that, the benefits, they, they far outweigh the hardships but there are some tough things about being a pastor. And for me, if, if I was forced, if I had to pick one thing, I would say it was the failure in this particular hope that Paul is expressing. Many times I've, I've had people come to me and ask for advice. Not, not necessarily personal advice, scriptural advice. And in, in a lot of those instances... I'm able to, to take them to God's Word and to show them exactly what God says, how He would want them to respond. You, you want to know what to do? Well, here's what God says you should do. And the hardest part about being a pastor is watching them leave and then choose to follow a different path or plan than the one that God clearly laid out in scripture and inevitably heartache and problems follow and it's so hard to watch it 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 breaks my heart seeing what they're going through And, and I think I think sometimes people believe that whatever God is asking of them well that's that's too hard that's that's too difficult, I can't do that. Or, or maybe the reason they, they don't do it is, is they think His ways seem so so outdated in this, in this modern world, you know, because, because marriage and raising kids and having a job was different 2,000 years ago. So people follow the world's advice or their own plans instead. But did you notice that The purpose that Paul gave, that he expressed for following God's plan, he said it was for building up, not tearing down. Every thou shalt not and every thou shalt is there for our good. God's instructions are are there with our best in mind. They're not to limit us. They're not to rob us from some good experience. They're there to protect us and to guide us into to His very best for our lives and to give us that abundant life that, that Jesus promised would be ours. And so the question from God and the question we really need to answer is, is not how much of God's Word do I know, but how much do I do? Are you putting it into practice? That's the third hope that Paul expresses here. So, so, Paul gave three hopes, right? That people would look beyond the accusations to see the truth of the heart and the love that he has for them. That they, as followers of Jesus, would press on towards maturity And that directly leads to this third hope that they would respond positively by putting into practice those things they hear and learn. And obviously, each of those has application to us. The first, in the way that we would look towards others and treat them, especially when we hear something negative that doesn't seem to fit their previous character or we see some action that we just don't understand, will we give them? the benefit of the doubt, and seek to learn the truth. Find out what's really in their heart. I mean, this is a big warning for us to, to stay away from, from gossip or from trash talk against other people or juicy tidbits that some like to throw around. Going directly to a person and finding out what's really there. The second is a challenge us to get into god's word in a more regular and intentional way I and mean, after all it's through the truth of the bible that we can grow in strength and maturity as believers and because we live in a messy world we need to know what god's word says for us today and if you need help or suggestions or ideas on how you can do that in your life come talk to me i'd be happy to help you get that set up and third having learned what the Bible says, we need to respond to it. I mean, not putting into practice what you know is actually worse than not even knowing what the Bible says. But the blessing of these three hopes is that we, as we apply them in our own lives, that they are there for building us up so that we can experience true transformation that we can see lasting change, life change in, in our lives, change that leads to all the good that God desires to pour on on us. That's Paul's hopes for us. Let's pray. Father God, we are, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful for the power of the Holy Spirit that, that uh, is in us, that leads and guides us, that illuminates us, helps us to understand your truth, but more importantly, empowers us to put it into practice. So God, may we be people where these hopes are fulfilled in us, that we could be complete and mature. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.